A new book has been published about Joseph Smith and Emma Hale's love and marriage. We'll discuss that next on Polygamy. What love is this? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Several years ago, I met today's guest. She's a former Mormon, and we have had great conversations between the two of us about Mormonism and polygamous Mormonism and its history. At that time, when we met she uh, for lunch one day, she was starting to write a book about the romance between Joseph Smith and Emma Hale. In fact, she had already completed the first chapter, and she shared it with me at that time, and I was intrigued. And it's been a very long time, and it's been a brave journey for her, but now she's finished it and had it published. And I want to share this book with our viewers and have a conversation with her about the book, hoping that you, our viewers, will also be intrigued and read her book. So I would like to introduce our guest, former Mormon Annette Bolton. Hello, Hello Annette. Thanks for coming back. You're very welcome. Good I to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I love to be here and talk about the book, and it's entitled 19th Century Love Affair of Joseph Smith and Emma Hale, published by Page she Publishing. Mm -hmm. Now we have a graphic to put on the screen, and it's a picture of you standing by the um, blown up cover mm -hmm. of the book during the public release uh, when you first publicly released the book. So that's the cover for our people to um, to look for when they're maybe googling it or whatever. So when did the when did you the when was the book released? Well we had a book unveiling on December 5th at Little America uh -huh. uh, with close friends and family and uh, after that um, I started taking the books that I had purchased to help sell and promote the book to different areas of town that I mm -hmm. live in. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, well, you even have it in the newspaper oh, there, yes. don't you? That's your, the, the newspaper from your hometown, where yes. they, a full page on the, the release of the book. And there you are standing by the uh, blown up copy of the cover. Yes. That was very good. So where can our viewers purchase your book? Uh, let's see. The press release came out and said that you can purchase the book at Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Kobo, or Barnes & Noble. Okay, so and they can so they can <clears throat> Google it and and f just find out where they want to purchase it. Absolutely. And how has the response been so far? It's been really good. My friends and family <clears throat> who aren't um, TBMs, True Believing Mormon, they have really enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, I got a message last night, received a message from a friend, and she said, I was floored at how you write. Excellent. <laughs> so I was tickled awesome. to hear that. That's great. Now, your the organizational format of your book is a little different than a normal historical fiction. It is. What, explain the, for, the organizational format, and it is a historical fiction. Yes, um, I wanted to be able to hear Emma's words and I didn't want to just have a story. I wanted 
it to be in first person. So that's what it is. A, mm -hmm. a chapter is dedicated to Joseph. The next chapter is Emma. And it gives everyone a chance to see what Joseph thinks on a subject, what Emma thinks on a subject. Mm -hmm. And it gives a, an opportunity to hear Emma's voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and in doing that, you've, you've uh, taken some... Um, 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 some <laughs> my mind just went blank. Yeah, yes. some liberty uh, to to weave a historical narrative into the actual uh, to some fictional ideas, perhaps. Exactly. But it's from what when I was reading it, I thought most of it was historical rather than fiction. Basically, <laughs> is. <laughs> now the the main question: Why did you write this book? I wrote it for my father for my grandma, Chloe, and for my aunt, Cleo. Uh, those, my grandfather had several wives, but I wanted to honor those three people. Mm -hmm. um, my father used to be approached by my grandfather about living polygamy. Mm -hmm. And he would, Mac, you need to, you need to think about this and, and try living it. And finally my dad said, Dad, in my circle, it's, it's religion. In your circle, it's religion. In my circle, it's hanky-panky. <laughs> so let's just not talk about it. Wow. And I never did. Good answer. Ever again. Good answer. Good and true answer. So, so you're not foreign to the polygamous. Your, your background is, is in polygamy. At least your family background is. So it is. So you're not foreign to the idea like many people are. They might have a great-great-grandfather that was, but your, yours is right there. Oh, it is. We used to your... go to Grandpa's house, which is on still on 13th South and below the freeway. Uh, it used to be George Q. Cannon's home wow. when my grandfather purchased uh -huh. it. And um, we used to... As little kids, run up and down the back stairs and spy on that Violet, and then we come back and be with Aunt Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so polygamy is alive and well in your background, and yes. as well as many, many others. So you write this as historical fiction, but I like it that you haven't sacrificed the truth in weaving the the, the fictional part of your the account together uh, when you talk about jo Joseph and Emma's Hell's marriage, which started as monogamous. There's no hint of polygamy when they first got together. No, none at all. Uh, Emma was head over heels in love, in my opinion, with Joseph. Mm -hmm. And she felt he was the man. I, I, that's my opinion, too. I think her opinion of that changed a little later. But, <laughs> I think so too. but anyway, let's go to chapter three. It, it presents uh, Joseph Smith's um, meeting and falling in love with Emma. In fact, he calls her in, your, in the book, you, you, Sweet, Sweet Emma. And on page 16, you describe from Joseph Smith's viewpoint his falling in love with her. So let's quote a little bit from, from that page. Oh, she was a beauty. I sat across the room from her. I could feel her breath on me, the, the lingering smell of her body from our encounter in the barn was causing me to fall in love with her all over again. It was here that we shared our past secrets, our future hopes, and my deep desires for her. If only her father thought I was of value, he had flatly turned down my marriage proposals twice. And with a bit of help from a friend, Emma and I eloped and didn't look back. It took, I took Emma across the state line to marry her, and Emma turned her back on everything that she had 
and everything she'd known. Okay. And, and, and that's like an excerpt, you know, just mm -hmm. it's not the whole thing. But that's what happened. They did elope. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's nothing that, that her parents could do about it because she was of age. As you studied and researched for the book, did you form any new opinions of Joseph and of Emma? In the more research you discovered, different opinions of them? I did. Um, I always liked Emma. Back when I was growing up, Emma was a hiss and a byword, basically, still, in the LDS Church. And I found that she, in reading about her, writing about her, and kind of feeling her, I can't say presence, but I, I felt that she was a very kind, innocent individual at first, uh -huh. very loving. Uh -huh. Joseph, uh, when I was writing a, this book, Joseph, de his demon was present. I felt him behind me. Um, I, I felt him standing next to my bed at night oh. if I was writing about his polygamy encounters. Um, I actually heard a door close in the basement where no one was available to close that door or open it. And um, I used to adore this man. I would have taken a bullet for him and for the LDS Church, mm -hmm. and now I love him. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so as the more you learn about him, the, the more, the less you loved him, and now you loathe him. Right. Um, there's a lot in Joseph Smith's history that most of our viewers are not even aware of, and they don't want to know, no. <laughs> most of them. You write about Joseph Smith's visions and his necromancy, which is communication with the dead, and also about some of his other strange spiritual experiences, which probably many people aren't aware of. Out of all of his wild imaginative experiences that you researched, which one did you find the most flamboyant or the most unbelievable? The most flamboyant of his demeanor and what he did that was astonishing to me was when he put on his Nauvoo Lieutenant General Legion uniform and rode down the streets of Nauvoo on his white horse smoking a cigar. And it was like, <laughs> look at me. And that most unbelievable thing that hurt me to the core, and I think it hurt Emma too, was how he would excommunicate men that had given all their money, all their time, to the building up of his religion. And he didn't think a thing about it. Just, oh, well, I don't like that, so you're excommunicated. Yeah, he did that. He, he, he really misused the, the power that he achieved oh. through claiming himself to be prophet. I found the most unbelievable to be that he saw God and Jesus in the vision because it was just impossible to see yeah, God. It is. was very clear about that. I found the most flamboyant to be one of two. He claims he saw a cave that was filled to the brim with wagon loads of golden plates and the sword of Laban on the wall and angels inside of it. And I think that is the most ridiculous uh, flamboyant or uh, the angel with a flaming sword that came and threatened his life if he didn't, if he didn't have sex with, with a 14 year old. Yeah. <laughs> In chapter four, it's Emma's turn to express her infatuation with Joseph Smith. So we're going to quote a little bit from page 20. 
Emma, from Emma's viewpoint. She says, what a handsome individual my father had hired to possibly find buried treasure on our property. He had beautiful blue eyes and sandy hair color. He didn't stand as tall as his father, but he was taller than my five foot nine stature. It wasn't often that I looked up to anyone, let alone a man I liked. I loved looking into his beautiful eyes, his trusting face, face and his kind soul. This handsome man was a wonderful catch, I quietly thought to myself. And so this is from your viewpoint how Emma first saw Joseph Smith to be, fell in love with him, and then you build on their love story like that. As you did your research, what did you find the most troubling about their love story? The most troubling aspect that I can possibly think of is the fact that Emma was truly in love and Joseph was not. He was using Emma to start his religion and then he kind of dropped her uh, when the Golden Bible, she used to call it the Golden Bible. Mm -hmm, I did. And, I, and she'd, she'd often say, I, I hate this Bible. I don't ever want to see it again because it's taken him away from me, especially when she had her first child that was dead mm -hmm. or didn't live very long, I, I'm not sure which, but he didn't comfort her. And at that time, she needed comfort. She needed solace, and he was off with the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had several babies that died. She did. She had 11 kids, and five or six of them died. And She really had a, a, a struggle yeah, with that. Yeah, it was pretty hard for her. Um, you write about his dabbling in magic, which maybe a lot of our viewers are not aware of that either. Uh, tell us about the Jupiter talisman that he carried and the power that he believed it gave him. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I read this because it has some quotes in it. A talisman is an object that brings about the powers possessed within the object. It has been around for centuries. A Jupiter talisman was used by traditional hoodoo spiritual workers. And that's in my book of what was coming up the Mississippi, was hoodoo, not voodoo, hoodoo. Um, talismanic seals have been known among African-American root doctors for many centuries. The spells pronounced upon the talisman, quote, are prepared for the client by being dressed and blessed in the name of the one to whom they will belong. Joseph's Jupiter talisman was intended to bring him power, ruling capabilities for gain, riches, favor, love, peace, conquer, the ability to appease enemies, confirm honors, dignities, and counsels. Joseph Smith had the Jupiter talisman on his person when he was when murdered. When he was shot. That's absolutely right. He was. And he carried it with him quite um, all, all the time, as far as, as we know, as yes. he could. On page 25, you write about Joseph's viewpoint on the talisman. So why don't we quote a passage from that book, okay. or from that page. I came to believe that I could work the Jupiter talisman in my favor. I would bring forth all my desires of money, power of self, and others. Peace within, honor, dignity, counseling, benefits in the recognition and love of women. Now notice, and this is an actual quote from Joseph Smith. It's not fiction, it's an actual quote. I've read it mm -hmm. before. Notice the plural, the love of women. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and this part's not the fictional part. He actually looked forward to the love of multiple women. Yes, he did. Uh, I, if anybody knows anything about the history of the Mormons, he went into the grove of trees to pray and ask for forgiveness of his sins. I've often thought, 
that was his weakness and his sins he was trying to get a hold of and get forgiveness is his love for women. You just don't all of a sudden become a womanizer. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. And it'd be interesting to know exactly what was going on in his head. You had to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> Well, you didn't leave out Joseph Smith's sexual ex escapades in your story. You explain Emma's heart-wrenching pain when she discovers her husband's uh, infidelity with Fanny Alger uh, in the barn. And this part, again, it is not fiction. On page 33, she writes about this incident, which I'll read a portion of that. She said, my knees trembled. This is from, again from Emma's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. My knees trembled and my heart twisting with agony as I approached the barn. There, through a crack in the door, I witnessed what was the consummation of Joseph's affair with Annie Alker. I was not ready to share my marriage, nor would I ever be. Burdened with the cruel thoughts of Joseph sharing the precious feelings of a loving husband and wife relationship with another woman was too much to endure. And it is. It is. It's way too much to endure. I know as I'm reading, and I often do shows um, where I will talk about the details of Joseph Smith's wives. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll usually do two wives in each show that I do it. And, uh, and I study up, and usually it's from In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton, the book, where mm -hmm. he describes all of his wives, how yes. they came to be. And sometimes as I'm reading and, and getting the material together, I get so upset I had to get up and walk away. Sometimes I cry for those poor girls who were so deceived by him, deceived spiritually mm -hmm. and deceived um, physically, too, uh, because of the lies that he told her. It's just it's just too much to endure. It's too much. And Emma, her response to some of this, of course, you can, we can just imagine. Uh, there are many in Mormonism who refuse to believe that this with Fanny Alger actually happened. They believe that she, he, she was a first wife when actually she wasn't. She was just a fling. But is this documented about Fanny Alger? And if it is, where can our viewers find the documentation for themselves? Okay, the information is accurate. Fanny existed. She's a real person. And you can find this information on feministmormonhousewives.org. Also, Mormon Enigma, page 66, and also a letter from excommunicated Latter-day Saint Apostle William E. McClellan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's out there. The information is out there. It and is. on the LDS.org, where they have um, uh, three essays that deal with Mormon polygamy, early Mormon polygamy, Nauvoo polygamy, Joseph Smith, they admit that Fanny Alker... Oh, was they do. was there so also the official LDS website also has her story, but it's nicely tucked away so you can't find oh, it's it. It's tucked away very nice, <laughs> and it, it it's also hidden away some some pretty um, uh, difficult to to grasp what they're trying to tell you because they they cloak the issue so mm -hmm. much in in words and oh it's it's not good anyway, but they, at least they admit it. Uh, was it difficult to research and discover information like this for you and not get personally drawn into Emma's pain? Oh, it was. Um, when I was writing about Emma, my heart would ache because I saw my grandma, uh, I used to call Aunt Cleo grandma because my real grandmother passed away. Uh, I watched her cook and serve for 45 children and we ate in shifts when the family got together. And my grandma did not stop, Aunt, Aunt Cleo. She did not stop. 
And as far as Emma is concerned, what, the pain that I felt for her was she was trusting in the beginning, then he defiled their trust with Fanny Alger, and maybe she thought that was, okay, he's never going to do it again, and gave back her trust, and then he defiled that trust and he did again, over and again and, over and again and again. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I don't know, I, I, I was very hurting for her, and I'd have to stop writing. You, you, it affects us, I guess, when we get into that. Well, the next topic that you bring out, I think, is an interesting one, and is the idea of drug-induced uh, drug visionary experiences. You write that when the Book of Mormon project was finished, that they celebrated with a cup of tea laced with hallucinogenic drugs, which caused supposed uh, spiritual euphoria and fake miracles. The, uh, and this caused them all to believe that, of course, that the Book of Mormon was a translation prog progress, which was actually from God, and he was blessing their celebration when actually it was drug-induced mania. Now, we don't read much about this in Joseph Smith's history. Where did you find this kind of evidence that this actually could have happened, or is this a fictional part of your book? The drug-induced mania was fictional in nature, but logical in the sense that after Joseph Smith was murdered, no one has ever had a visionary experience like they had during his life. Uh, we have a doctor friend, um, Dr. Johnson, and I asked him, so is it possible that uh, during the eight, uh, 1830s area that um, hallucinogenics were used? And he said, yes, and I, so I looked it up, and there was Datura, and um, he can be ground, and, and the root doctor, I talk about him in here, Black Pete, he's a real man. Mm -hmm. He and he was one of the first men to black men to join the church, mm -hmm. so he's real. And he taught Joseph how to crush Datura, how to smoke it, how to, to lace it, how to cook it. You could do you could do anything with it mm -hmm. to get the effect that you wanted. And this particular hallucinogenic, all he had to do was say, oh, "I see Jesus," and all of a sudden everybody, oh, "I see him too." Power of suggestion. Power of suggestion. Mm -hmm. So the very fact that they had access to the drugs and knew how to use it and most possibly did use it because of Black Pete? Mm -hmm. Black Pete. Mm -hmm. Now, I have also, separately from this, years ago, I had looked into the drug use, possible drug use by Joseph Smith, and there there is evidence that very possibly he did get involved with that. But I've never made a show out of it simply because there's not enough evidence to make it something that I would want to say, well, this is fact. This is fact. Right. Exactly. Well, I find it interesting in Chapter 14, Joseph Smith admits that he powers and uh, that he craves power and women. So why don't you read what you've written on page 68 about that? Power was going to be my downfall. I craved the power that being the prophet of a church was giving me. My wily ways with women became enhanced, and I was unable to see myself as a co-conspirator, but rather a true man of God. I felt I could give advice to others through the power of God, calling them revelations. I could see an individual and the wrongs they were committing and think how such an individual could become better, and I would chat... Uh, better or be chastised for their lifestyle, and I would develop a revelation, I would say, that was from God, and the people would buy it. 
The feeling was overwhelming and the power was unstoppable. And that's exactly what he did. That's what the Doctrine and Covenants are. A lot of revelations mm -hmm. that people bought were from God, and yet so much of it is contradictory. And I don't, so I would not say there's a lot of fiction in that particular <laughs> statement. That's a pretty good statement. <laughs> now, there's differences of opinions, and we've touched on this already, concerning the part that Emma played in Joseph Smith's shenanigans. Some people believe that she was as much a scoundrel as, as he was, and that she knew everything he was doing, except perhaps some of the plural marriages. And then there's others that think she was totally unaware, and that he duped her completely into believing whatever he told her. What is your opinion about Emma's knowledge and involvement with their husband's activities. Right here it says, I, I put Emma's knowledge of Joseph's BS. In my opinion, Emma knew nothing in the beginning. She was truly in love. She was over the top with excitement. The biggest heartbreak was Fanny. Watching Fanny, Fanny's stomach grow with a child caused Emma to kindly ask Fanny to leave their home. Fanny did have a child. I won't divulge my source, but a possible picture of Fanny and Orson Pratt Smith is in my book. Emma had shared a great secret with Joseph about her youth, and if it was exposed, it would disgrace her. Emma stood by Joseph because of her own fears. She was a broken woman by the time Joseph died, and in my opinion, she knew Joseph was a fraud. I think she did, too. I think she loved him very much, like you said. I believe that she was very much in love with him. But he really trampled on that love a lot. Um, I also believe that she knew he was playing a duplicious role mm -hmm. um, in, in the church activities and so on. But she couldn't, she just couldn't admit to her children that he was a polygamist. Well, basically, he kept her secret, and she said, I'll keep his. And so she didn't share with her children his polygamous escapades. And that's why when David and uh, Joseph Smith III came to Salt Lake and were treated poorly instead mm -hmm. of honored mm -hmm. for the people that they were from, who their father was, they, uh, it caused David to end up in a mental institution. Mm -hmm. Well, he found out that her father was a polygamist. Oh, yes. It was so, it was so heartbreaking for them. Um. You write about the political exploits and the failed bank in Kirtland and the boast of Joseph Smith is greater than Jesus. And, of course, these are all topics that are not taught in Mormon or polygamy Sunday school classes, for that matter. Of course, we can't reveal too much information because we want our viewers to buy the book and read it. Um, you have a section where all of Joseph Smith's wives are listed, and they're bio short biographical information of each other, which I think is great. And then they're Freemasonry and, and the connection with Freemasonry uh, and, and kind of helps understand many of the secret Mormon temple mm -hmm. uh, rituals. We only have a couple more minutes, so I want to move forward with this. So uh, there's many, many references. She's got footnotes and a bi great bibliography and pictures of people and rituals and places and icons. And your book is just full of information, good information. Again, where can they buy the book? Where can they get the book? Mention that again. Um, let me go back. Apple iTunes. Google Play, Kobo, Barnes and Nobles, 
and um, Amazon.com and Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and just Google it. If you don't get all of this, just Google it, and I'm sure that the book will come up, and you'll be able to order it. It's from Page Publishing, uh, and the the Page Publishing telephone number and website is, has also been on the screen. Now, the summary statement I'd like to make is from page 81, where you said Emma was uh, said her husband was always living by the seat of his pants, and the thing that came to my mind was. And those pants were often where they shouldn't have been. <laughs> Thank you, Annette, for your hard work and for sharing your book with us. <laughs> okay, well, you know, there is nothing more important in our lives than the truth. Truth never changes. It remains the same. It never becomes more truthful or less truthful with the changing of times or the passing of time. But our perception of the truth changes. Our knowledge can increase of truth, but that doesn't mean truth change. It means only that we did. There is no such thing as my truth and your truth being different and both true. Jesus said he is the truth which is a profound claim, and it's either true or not. Well, our responsibility is to search for the truth, to rightly discern truth, to embrace only the truth, and to reject all that is not true, which is what we have tried to do here, and what, what you have done in your book. Our responsibility is to search for it, discern it, embrace it, and reject all that's not true, and when God judges us, He will judge us on what we did with the truth. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.